About 10 years ago, a story came out where a prominent worship leader stood up on stage at his church, Hillside or Hillsong United, and he shared that morning about what was happening within his life. He told the people there this, that morning, he said, hey, I, um, I have cancer and I am dying. Over the next few moments, he shared what that was like for him and his family. He talked about his parents and his wife taking him to go to get chemo. And he talked about all this pain that he was going through emotionally, physically, and spiritually. During this time, he wrote a song called Healer. You may be familiar with that song. And it was all about him trying to overcome the pain that he was facing in his life. Two years after making that announcement... He died. Actually, he didn't die. He was still alive. And in fact, at that moment, he told the truth. He said, hey, actually, I never had cancer, and I don't have it now. I lied the whole time. Today, we continue this series called I Was Burned By. And over the past few weeks, we have been looking at I Was Burned By God, I Was Burned By the Church. And here's what I'm pretty sure many of us could say, or some of us could say, that we were burned by God. And we feel like we've been burned by the church. But I'm going to go on a limb and think that everybody in this room today can go to that last one and say, yep, that's me, that I was burned by Christians. We hear that story of this prominent worship leader, and we think to ourselves, yep, that's exactly what Christians do. In fact, the world around us looks at it and says, says, yes, that's exactly who Christians are. Christians say one thing and do something very different. It's where we get this word, hypocrite. Now, maybe you learned that word from Bill Maher. Maybe you learned that word from reading it in a news article. Maybe you've used that word before. But that word, hypocrite, it's a pretty powerful word. But here's what's so interesting about the word hypocrite. It used to not have a negative connotation to it. In fact, it was pretty positive. In Greek theater, you had people that played the parts within a play. Now, they didn't have one person per part. They had one person maybe playing three or four or five different parts within the play. And so here's what they would do. They would go backstage and they would put on a new mask for the new role that they were playing within that play. And so the term for that was hypocrites. And so if you think about that, that's, that's pretty positive. But yet we've taken that word and we've turned it into something negative, right? Because when we talk about that word hypocrites, one of the places that we talk about hypocrites quite a bit are in the church. It's with Christians. It's with people who say they're followers of Jesus. And our point is, in the church many times, those of us who follow Jesus, we say one thing and we live our life very differently. Or, or we say this is who we're going to be and we put a mask on for Sunday mornings and then we walk out we put a new mask on because we're somebody else. That's why that term has such a negative connotation within the church today. It's why it has a negative connotation in the world that we live in. It's because many of us feel that we have been burned by Christians. Because one moment we say we love God and we love others, and yet our actions and our words show something very, very different. For example, you know, maybe your dad says he's a Christian. He posts scriptures up on Facebook. He attends church on a regular basis, and yet he still hasn't asked for forgiveness for the past. What happened in your home when you were a kid? Or, or maybe you're a follower of Christ, and man, you're working hard to do everything you can to follow Jesus, and you make a mistake. And, and in that moment when you've made that mistake, you're looking for this group of people who say they're Christians to come around you, just put their arms around you and support you. And yet at that moment, you look around, and you're like, where, where are they? They're not here anymore. 
See, so many times as Christians, we say one thing, and yet we live our life very differently. And you know what that does? Especially in the world around us, people lose their faith, or they never get faith, because we burn them as Christians. We live our lives as hypocrites. But here's the good news. Jesus, he didn't like hypocrites either. In fact, if you look at Scripture, every time he interacts with somebody, it tends to be people that are sick, right? They're emotionally sick. They're physically sick. They're spiritually sick. They're diseased. They're sinners. And so he spends so much time with them. The people that he really can't stand being around are the hypocrites. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 23 this morning. We're going to be in Matthew kind of shooting around in some different places today, but you can start there. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. You can use that if you need that Bible. If you know somebody that needs it, take it. It's our gift to them, to you, whatever the case may be. Uh, we're going to put it up here on the screens. You can follow along on your Journey Church app and take notes there, or you can take notes on your program this morning. But Matthew chapter 23, starting with verse 1, here's what it said. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Here in this passage, Jesus gives this warning. He says, we, we have these teachers of the law, right? And they know the law. And so here's what they're doing. They're trying to help you follow the law. And you know what? They're right in trying to help you follow the law. But here's the problem. They're trying to tell you everything you should do in your life and how you should follow the law. And yet, they're living their life very, very differently. They're saying, here's what the law says and here's how you're breaking it. But yet, they're doing the exact same thing in their own lives. Jesus' point is they wear masks. Over the next few verses... Jesus throws out these seven woes to the hypocrites. And he says, here's what you say, and yet here is what you do. And in fact, Jesus uses that word hypocrite 17 times in the New Testament. And every single time, it's never a word of encouragement. Every single time, it's something negative, admonishing these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. In fact, if you go down to verse 33, you read these words. He calls them, you snakes. You brood of vipers. That's pretty intense language from Jesus in that moment. But his point's pretty simple. Stop hiding behind the mask. I think if you and I think about that, that is actually, if we're followers of Jesus, that's what we're called to do too. We're called to stop hiding behind the mask. And so this morning, there's two questions I think we need to wrestle with. The first one's a personal question. If you are a follower of Jesus, how do you keep from being hypocritical? And the second question is, how do we respond to hypocrites in our lives? Let's look at that first question first. How can we keep from being hypocritical? How can we keep the mask off? In Matthew chapter 5, we find the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we look through that, I mean, really, it's all about hypocrites. Because Jesus says, this is the way hypocrites live, and, and this is the way that I'm asking you to live your life. And so if we kind of look through this passage, if we look through this sermon, we, we find there's three things that Jesus brings up here. here. Here's the first thing, the first way that we can begin to live our lives in such a way that we're not being hypocrites, that we can take the mask off. First thing is follow the heart of the law, not the letter of the law. 
2013, a strange story came out of the University of Oklahoma. There was a student graduation banquet that was taking place, or had taken place. And, uh, of course, all the athletes are invited to this, this banquet. And I don't know if you've ever been around college football players, but they tend to be pretty big dudes, right? And so they're big. They eat a lot of food. Well, at this banquet, this group of football players, uh, three of them, they, they had a plate of pasta, and they were done. They were still hungry. So they went back and got a second plate of pasta, and they ate it. Well, the University of Oklahoma, they were like, uh-oh, <laughs> that's an infraction, and so they let the NCAA know, like, hey, a couple of our guys, you know, they broke the rule here. They shouldn't have had the second plate of pasta. And so they had to pay retribution for what they had done, right? For them to retain their eligibility for the next year, they had to pay for the pasta. $3.83 a piece. Now, thankfully, these guys were generous and actually gave $5 a piece to a charity of their choice so that they could play football the following year. NCAA bylaw 16.11.1.6 Division 1 says this, it permits schools to provide athletes with reasonable refreshments from time to time for celebratory events. Now if you know much about the NCAA, they're a stickler for the laws, aren't they? There's not a whole lot of heart to what they do. Here's what's interesting, though, about this particular bylaw. If you go back and look, I think it was the next year, 2014, they erased the whole thing. They're like, man, this is a little ridiculous, right? But here's the point. If we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about murder. He says, Jewish law says, do not murder. But Jesus says, do not even get angry. Jesus says, Jewish law talks about marriage. Do not commit adultery. What does Jesus say? He says, don't even look at somebody lustfully. Jewish law says, do not break an oath. Jesus says, do not even make an oath. Here's Jesus' point in all this. It's not about the letter of the law. It's about the heart of the law. There's something more there. And yet so many times when we are followers of Jesus, we see the law and we're like, got to follow it. You got to do exactly what it says. I don't care. I don't care what you say. I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care your background. I don't care your experiences. But Jesus says, no, 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 there's more there. Where's your heart in this? There's something bigger at play, and it is our heart. Because people who are hypocritical, they follow the law. Verbatim. Now, it doesn't mean they're not wrong, but it means sometimes the heart is in the wrong place. One of the ways that we can keep the mask off is to follow the heart of the law and not the letter of the law. Second way we can do this, to keep from being hypocritical, is to be about mercy. In Matthew 5, 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jewish law says an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And of course, many people of faith today will use that as our reasoning for our responses in, in certain instances in life. And yet Jesus says, if someone hurts you, if someone pushes you in a different way, if they, if they ask you to do a little more, hey, show them mercy. Because hypocrites will have no mercy at all. So many times we'll use that phrase, do the crime, do the time. That's following the law of verbatim. Jesus says it's about heart, it's about, it's about mercy. 
Because a hypocrite will, will use things like scripture to say, hey, you are wrong. Very much like the religious leaders of that day. Hey, you're wrong. You're in the wrong place. You're not making the right decisions in your life. Let me give you the scripture to back that up. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to show you mercy in this moment. I'm going to show you love. I think we see this a lot today in our culture world. Our culture wars. Something like homosexuality. We may disagree with the lifestyle, but quoting scripture to demean that individual, I ask myself, is that the way Jesus would act in that moment? Or just think about something like abortion. Some Christians just have this amazing ability to throw out scripture about the sanctity of, of life, but when a teenage girl is pregnant and she feels like she has no other place to turn, how is that reciting of scripture going to impact her and help her in that moment where she's struggling emotionally and spiritually? Hypocrites care about being right. Jesus cares about mercy. We need to be about mercy. And that'll keep us from having the mask on all the time. And then lastly, do good deeds in secret. Matthew 6, starting with verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When our oldest uh, kid, Savannah, was, I think, in fifth or sixth grade, I started noticing that every morning before school, she would go into the kitchen and she would make lunch. The weird part was, we made her lunch the night before. We're thinking, man, you're killing our food budget already. Now, this is just going to take it up a notch. And so one morning, I'm watching her do this. I'm like, hey, Savannah, hon, um, what are you doing? I mean, do you, do you need, are you really hungry during school? Do you, do you need a little bit more food? We can, we can throw some more fruit in there. We can give you another little snack. Well, what's happening? You know how your kids can kid shame you sometimes, parents? Savannah looks at me, and she's like, hey, Dad, um, it's not for me. She said, one of the friends who sits at our lunch table, I started noticing every time that she would come to lunch, she never had any food. And so I finally said, hey, what's going on? Why don't you have lunch? And this young lady told her, it's like, my family doesn't have money, enough money to buy food for us, and so I just don't eat lunch. Every time I tell that story, I get the, the chills and a little teary-eyed because I, I think about that, and I think about what I just read here. Savannah was doing exactly what God calls us to do, what Jesus calls us to do. She never told us what she was doing and why she was doing it. She just said, here's something I want to do to help somebody else out. Sometimes I think our kids are more like Jesus than we are as adults. Because we look at our life and we, we think about helping somebody in need. And what do we do? Hey, guess what? I'm helping that person over there. Watch me do this. And we'll post it on Facebook. We'll let everybody know. We want to have a picture of it. We just want to make sure the whole world knows this, right? And why do we do that? We need affirmation. We need our egos stroked. And so we do these things not for someone else. We do these things for ourselves. I think Jesus says, do it like Savannah. Do it quietly. Don't let anybody see. And you know what? If somebody notices you doing something like that, 
Say, hey, why don't you come help me out? I don't want to let everybody know about this, but this is just something I'm doing because I feel like this is what God has called me to do. Because hypocrites will say, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. But true followers of Jesus will say, this is just something I'm doing to help you. Do good deeds in secret. Take off the mask. Honestly, I think if we look at those three things and we just start there, we can get to a place where we're not hypocritical in our nature anymore. Where we're, we're beginning to say, hey, it's all about following the heart of the law, not the letter of the law. It's about mercy. It's about doing good deeds in secret. Man, we start doing those things. We can stop being hypocritical in our lives. But then there's a the next piece to this. How do we respond to those who are hypocrites? Because again, more than likely, every single one of us in this room have experienced that in our lives. Matthew 7, starting with verse 24. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, because I can only do the motions like I remembered as a kid when you do this, and the winds blew, they beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Our starting point with dealing with people who are hypocrites in our life is right here in what Jesus says. Our foundation has to be Christ. Our foundation has to be Christ. Uh, my world is a church. Uh, it has been since the time I was born, but now this is, since this is my career and what I know and believe God has called me to do, everything I do is focused on the church. So everything that I read, uh, the articles that I read, the, the conversations that I have, even outside of this place, so many times they're about the church. And, and there's this one piece to the church that I struggle with, and it's, um, it's what has become termed celebrity pastors. There are pastors out there who, man, they, they've written best-selling books, um, they're on TV. Some of them are even advisors to presidential circles. Now, please understand me. I'm not jealous of their accomplishments. I, I truly mean that. I'm not. Because God is doing amazing things in, in, in pastors' lives all over the, the world. And, and I believe God is doing amazing things within those guys and people that are, that are doing that. I believe that with all my heart. Um, but here's my struggle with that. What happens in a church when that pastor leaves? or is fired, does something they shouldn't do, they have an affair, they embezzle money, they die. What happens in that church setting when that has taken place? Now, my prayer is that doesn't happen, but we're beginning to see that take place in big churches throughout the United States and, of course, in our world. Because here's what I struggle with when I, when I think about that. The pastor has become the person that people have their faith in and not Jesus. That's my struggle. What happens when your faith is in the pastor? What happens when your faith is in me? And I told you this last week. I'm going to let you down. I, I'm not afraid to say that. I'm trying hard not to, but I know that I will. The chances are good because I am messy and imperfect and a human that I will do that. And so when someone puts their faith in the pastor and the pastor lets them down, what happens then? They lose their faith. They, they walk away from their faith. What happens when you put your faith in your spouse 
and they do something that, that you have a really hard time getting beyond. What happens then? Well, more than likely, if your faith isn't very strong, if your foundation isn't very strong, you're going to walk away from your faith. We, we can say that about kids. We can say that about friends. We, we can say that about your life group leader. When our faith is in something other than Jesus, when it's in a person, and something happens within that relationship, something happens within that connection we have with that individual, how many times do we feel burned by Christians and then we walk away from our faith? When we talk about the amount of people who are leaving church on a daily basis, 3,500 people, I think a lot of it has to do with that. We've put our faith in a person, and we forgot to put our faith in Jesus. We're messy. We're imperfect. We're human. We're going to mess up. And so our foundation has to be Christ. And if we want to deal with hypocrites in a healthy way, our foundation has to be in Jesus and not in a person. Because the storms will come. The storms are going to come. It's not a question of if they come. The question is when they will come. And, and I don't know what it is about some Christians but it seems like when a storm comes in some people's lives, like I talked a little bit earlier, instead of people rallying around that individual and helping them in the storm, it's more like the pack mentality. It's like one individual sees this thing happen, and they kind of push that person a little bit. And then all of a sudden, everybody else seems to attack that individual. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? I mean, the storm is there. This is the moment that individual needs support. This is the moment that you need that help. This is the moment I need people around me. And yet, what do we do? We push them away. The storms will come. And so again, the question is, is our foundation built on Jesus? I'm amazed sometimes when we watch TV, especially out in California. These beautiful homes are built in some of the worst places in the world, right? And so the rains come, and then all of a sudden you're watching this beautiful million-dollar home, and it just starts sliding down the hill. You're like, oh, <laughs> it's because it's sand. And so it makes you think, Jesus wasn't only the savior of the world. He was also a structural engineer in probably his beginning time. He was a carpenter, so he would have known these things, right? But yeah, this rain comes and it knocks it down and everything's demolished. Everything's destroyed. Jesus understood that. But Jesus also understands us that the storms will come and where our foundation is, is the place that's going to help us be able to move forward or, or our faith will be destroyed because of those storms. You can't face the storms alone. I can't face the storms alone. We have to have that support from other people when those storms come. Our foundation has to be Jesus. But that next part is we need a people group around us who can support us in those tough times. You need Christians. You, you need the church. And again, we're messy and imperfect, but we're going to try everything we can to do the best we can with what we know and what we have and try not to be hypocritical in those moments so we can support each other when those storms come in our lives. That's why we always invite you to be a part of a life group. That's why we invite you to be a volunteer. It's why we invite you to be a part of a ministry team. Look, we're not doing that because we want you to check off, hey, I went to life group this week, or, or hey, I volunteered in the church. That's because that's where your support's going to come from. I've shared this before about the number of staff people, uh, ministerial paid staff here at The Journey versus the amount of people that are here at The Journey. Uh, this spring, for the first four months of the year, we are averaging 539 people every single Sunday morning here. That means there are 144 people per staff person here at The Journey. I can't really deal with 144 people at one time, all right? 
and you know that. We can, we can work with about 8 to 12 people on a pretty intense basis, and that's, that's about it. And so you can't look at the church staff and like, hey, I'm going to get all my support from them. It's not going to work. We're going to fail you. We don't have time. Honestly, we just don't have time. Now, don't take that to say, hey, this church doesn't care about me. That's why we invite you to be in life groups. There are people there who will love you and help you through that storm and can give you that time and effort. That's why we invite you to be a part of a ministry team where those people can help you and love you when those storms come. It's so important that we have that kind of support in our lives. And maybe you're wondering, how do I know these people aren't hypocritical? Well, then watch. Are they focused on being right over showing mercy? Are they about the letter of the law or the heart of the law? Do they do good deeds for others to see or in secret? See, the same thing that we ask you to be or I invite you to do and myself to do as followers of Jesus, I think those are the the requirements we need to find in people around us. And so when those storms come, we have that support system in place. Here's the struggle in the church, though. Isn't this the one place we all wear masks? I just want you to think about that for a moment. I could leave church after the second service today. I could go down to the bar in Springfield, your pick, and I could go in there, and I could tell those people my life story. I could tell them what I'm struggling with, where I'm hurting. You know what they're going to do? They're going to listen. And more than likely, they're going to give me some good advice. They're going to say, hey, you know what? I went through that before. I know somebody. Let me tell you my story. And, And yet we'll walk into a church building, and you know what I see? Because I do this. I know I do. I have a mask on. Why? We're Christians. My life's supposed to be perfect. Everything's supposed to flow. Everything's supposed to work. There are no storms in my life. And if there are, guess what? Jesus is taking care of them. I'm good to go. It's not the case. The one place that should have zero mask whatsoever is the one place that I think every single Sunday there are masks all over the place. You and I, we got to take off the mask. We have to be willing to do that. We're afraid that's going to make us look weak. We're afraid that's going to make us look like we don't follow Jesus the way that we should. No, what we should be afraid of is that we're not truly being who we are called to be, to take off the mask and stop being hypocrites. You hear that, and you may think to yourself, what does that look like? Well, remove those masks so we can see your scars. Show us the wrinkles. Show us the bags under your eyes. Show us the, 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 the deep hurt that's within your, your soul that we can see by just looking straight in your face. Take those masks off. And, and here's why I'm, I'm saying that this, this morning. The church should be one of the safest places for us to take off our mask. And so here's what I'm going to share with you. I'm going to give you some statistics, okay? And here's what this is based on. This is based on 20 people in your row. So there are 10 seats on each side, except for this first row. 10 seats on each side, okay? So 20 seats all the way across in your row. Here's what I want you to know about the people in your row, if you don't think we have masks on. Three people in your row struggle with clinical depression. Three people have used illegal drugs this year. Two people are alcoholics. Three women have had abortions. Two women have been raped or victim of attempted rape. Three women have been sexually molested. Three men have been sexually abused or assaulted. Two people are infertile. One person will look at porn today. 
10 people will look at porn this week. Here's my point. In our world, we are broken. And you may be sitting there like me and saying, hey, I'm good. Life is great. I'm wonderful. It's not true. In fact, if you think about it, the church is a place for broken people. Those statistics may even be higher for your row. But we're broken people. Our church is broken. You are broken. I am broken. But Jesus, Jesus is not. That's why it's so important that our foundation is Jesus. It's so important that we take off the mask and we show who we truly are so that we can get the support and the help that we need because we are broken. But when we act like we're not, we become hypocrites to the world around us. And when the world sees that, here's what they think. Well, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because if that's who Christians are, then I'm sure that's who Jesus is too. Every single one of us in this place, we are broken. We're broken. And so we have to make sure that we take steps to not live like that's not who we are. Let me give you these three next steps this morning. The first one is make Jesus your foundation. Maybe that's the place you're at. Maybe you need stability. Maybe you need that rock foundation. So for you, maybe it's just to say, hey, I'm all in. And one of the ways that we show that is through baptism. And so for you this morning, maybe it may be, I am broken. I need Jesus as my foundation. Take that connection card. You can fill it out, mark baptism on it. We'll contact you this week. Or maybe you're like, hey, I don't want to wait. After we get done with church this morning, I want to be baptized. We got shorts. We got T-shirts. We got, we got um, towels. We can take care of you, all right? But that's such an important part of this. Maybe that's the place we have to begin. Make Jesus your foundation. Or secondly, if you are broken, please know that you're loved. Again, we're messy and we're imperfect and we're trying to do our best, but, but know that you are loved. And we will do everything we can to help you through those broken times because we may need you to help us through our times when we experience that brokenness too. And then lastly, everybody, we are trying to be a place of grace. And I'm afraid many times as, as followers of Jesus, we forget that we are about grace, that Jesus was about grace, he was about mercy. And in this church, we're trying to be that. There are going to be some bumps in the road, but we're going to do that the best that we can. Because in the end, I understand we're broken. You're broken. I'm broken. But Jesus, Jesus is not. As we head into our communion this morning, I want to share with you this passage out of Matthew 12, verse 20. It says, A bruised reed will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory, in his name the nations will put their hope. This is an Old Testament prophecy. And it says the Messiah, Jesus, will not break a bruised reed. We're bruised. And you know what? Sometimes Christians do the bruising. Sometimes Christians see the bruise and they attack the bruise. Because, again, we're, we're messy and we're imperfect. And when that happens, that can lead to us feeling burned by people who say they follow Jesus. But, but if you go back and you look at this for a moment, Jesus will not break a bruised reed. In fact, it says Jesus will bring victory because Jesus is hope. If you've been burned by Christians, I apologize. If you've been burned by me, I, I apologize. But no, we are messy and imperfect people. 
and, and we make poor decisions and make bad choices in our life but but in the end Jesus is hope and like I said last week hope lives here in this place with this messy and perfect group of broken people